Hard to believe already in February, month of January 2019 is already gone. Here we are in February. And what we've been doing in uh, the uh, series of messages for this new year so far is, um, is looking at model churches in the New Testament that help us get some bearing as we uh, appraise where we are in the life of Spring Valley Baptist Church and look at the demographics around us, look at the demographics inside of the life of our church, think about uh, what we've got to do, our mission and our purpose and time for revisioning and rethinking. And so we've also been looking at some model churches in the New Testament uh, that will help give us some idea about how they flourished in that pre-Christian, pre-Christian culture that's so much like our post-Christian culture in, uh, in which we're living today. We began by looking at uh, the model of the Jerusalem church. I call it the Pentecost church until it was birthed uh, during the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and, uh, and the Holy Spirit came and, and anointed Peter and he preached his great sermon and the people uh, were pricked in their conscience by their sin by the Holy Spirit and they cried out what should we do? Peter's to repent and be baptized and, and we saw that 3,000 people that day committed their life to them and there was tremendous growth in the life of that church. And we recognized some principles that were at work and that is like when God begins, what God begins supernaturally must operate supernaturally. And what, when the church functions with God's power, its ministry may be unexplainable. And when the church ministers with God's power, the results are undeniable. And then with each of these churches we've looked at, and we've talked about that purple cow effect that comes from the book Purple Cow by uh, Seth Godin, uh, that talks about marketing and branding your organization, that if you're not remarkable, you're going to be invisible. And so what was the purple cow experience from this church? And that was that they were so excited about their relationship with this fantastic God that they lived in awe every minute of what God was going to do next. They had a sense of excitement about what God was going to do next, and it permeated not only the life of the church, but the community. And they found the favor of that pre-Christian culture, and they were blessed because of that. Then last week we looked at the church in Antioch, and we saw that church was blessed with the hand of God upon it, and it grew, and many people were added to it because they, they, they proclaimed um, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The grace of God was evident. Their generosity was evident. Uh, uh, on display, and the and the uh, missional mindset was there. In fact, that they recognized what God needed them to do, and they commissioned those who were called, and they sent them out and prayed over them and fasted and observed that. And we also made some observations about this church, Antioch, where the believers were first called Christians. They became little Christ or known as Christians because they looked so much and acted so much like Christ. They were called Christians, and so we looked at some of these implications. And the first one is we must live up to our name, which is Christian, little Christ. The second is that the lostness and diversity of our culture cannot be an excuse for a lack of growth. And then thirdly, our surrounding community must be seen as a mission field of opportunities. And then we saw that the purple cow element in the church in Antioch was that the hand of God was on them as they faithfully proclaimed the gospel and large numbers believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now today we're going to look at the church in Thessalonica, and uh, we're going to see how it serves as a model for us. There's another one of the churches that Paul established. We really find its origin in uh, Acts chapter 17, and we'll give you the highlights of that. If you want to look with me in Acts chapter 17 on your Bible, a pew rack Bible, or a app, phone app, whatever, we see that, that Paul comes to, to Thessalonica, and as his custom was, uh, he went into the synagogue. 
And he taught and explained about Jesus, reasoning with them from the scriptures. And I think that's interesting because all he had was the Old Testament. I wonder how, how well we would do at proclaiming Jesus Christ with only the Old Testament to teach about who he was as Christ and the Messiah. And so he said to him, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. And I love this phrase. As did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. So he was appealing to women. And they responded to that. But we pick up in verse 5 and it says, But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They, they are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus, When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil, and then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. Now, we see right there that there's uh, another famous saying, uh, just like at church at Antioch is where the believers were first called Christians at Antioch. We find that powerful phrase that talks about the influence that these Christians had. Because King James says, those who have turned the world upside down are come hither also. The New American Standard says, these men who have upset the world have come here also. And then as we read in the NIV, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. I love those phrases because you put them all together. And it's what we need to be recognized for doing in the culture in which we live today. You know, the world needs to be turned upside down to be made right side up. The world today needs to be upset by the church especially in light of some legislative decisions made in other states this week. And then we, we, we need to cause trouble to this sinful world and convict them of their sin. So we all, we, we fit into all of these sayings, no matter what translation it is, that those who've turned the world upside down are come hither also. And the world needs to be upset. It needs to, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that was an earmark, we find, of this church in Thessalonians. And I want us to look at chapter 1, verses 1 through 10 of the church in Thessalonica and see what describes them and how they were such a blessed church and how they serve as a model church for us. Paul begins the letter by writing Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. And then he assures them. He says, we always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continue to remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's faith, hope, and love under which they operated. Then he says, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. 
Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now that's just the introductory part that Paul writes about these believers in Thessalonica, the church that we know as the Thessalonians. And when you put where we find them introduced in Acts chapter 17 and how it got its start and what we find here in 1 Thessalonians 1, some interesting things about this church. Remember this is a pre-Christian culture. Uh, there, there was opposition to those who claimed to be followers of the way, or followers of Jesus Christ, disciples of Christ, or Christians. So when we put all this together and what Paul says to them here in the first part of the first letter, we see that this church began or was born, whichever phrase you want to use, in the midst of adversity. There was conflict and adversity that surrounded their creation. But then secondly, they boldly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about it a little bit later on. But Paul says the gospel rang out, literally rang out from this church and it went around the world, had repercussions around the world. And then thirdly, as a result of that, this church became a blessing to God and helped inspire the growth of the kingdom of God. And so then we ask, well, what was the purple cow element of this church? And, and this is what it ought to be of our church as well. And it's simply this. The church was made up of men and women and boys and girls who were deeply committed to Christ and the gospel. And they lived and proclaimed the gospel. They lived and proclaimed the gospel. Men and women, boys and girls, deeply committed to Jesus Christ, in love with Jesus Christ, committed to the gospel, and they lived and proclaimed the gospel. See, they were missional in their personal involvement in proclaiming the gospel. If you were here last week and we talked, you heard us preach on Antioch, we talked about that missional aspect of them, then you, you remember I, I gave you some interesting figures about where we have been involved in missional activities just in the last few months in the life of our church. How many places we sent money, how many places we sent people on mission trip, and shoeboxes that were packed, and gifts that were given for inside-out ministry, and uh, digging a well for Compassion International, and all of those kinds of things that we did. And we do some wonderful, remarkable mission things for church our size. But then also pointed out to you that the one thing we have not done that we need to do a better job of, and that is having a personal involvement in sharing the gospel and penetrating the lostness of the community in which the Spring Valley Baptist Church are placed. And when we come to understand that, then we need to understand how this church was so important in the kingdom of God. The Thessalonians boldly proclaimed the gospel. It rang forth from them. And that's what needs to happen for us as well. But I want you to think about the challenge for us to be personally involved in, in, in evangelism and sharing our faith and, and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and penetrating the lostness. And I want to do so by sharing some figures with you. I'll ask a simple question first. What, what is 75,000 75, miles long, reaches around the earth 30 times and grows 20 miles longer every day? 75,000 miles long, reaches around the earth 30 times and grows 20 miles longer every day. It's the number of lost people in the world that you could line up. And they would be 75,000 miles long and growing about 20 miles a day. That's the reason for us to be personally involved 
in, in sharing and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Because some of those people are right here in our own neighborhood. Those who study statistics about life and death tell us that three people die every second. Just that quickly. That quickly right there. Three people die. Every time I click my fingers, three people die every second. That means 180,000 people die. 180 people die every minute. 10,800 people die every hour. 259,200 people die every day. And 94,608,000 people die every year. From those who interpret those facts from a Christian worldview, tell us of, of 7.1 to 8 million, how, how many people there are on the earth today, that maybe two-thirds of them even haven't heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and that, that would mean, if these figures hold true then, that every year 63,103 people would die without having heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know in the state of South Carolina we have 4.8 million people and the Baptist Convention tells us that 3.6 million of those people are not involved in the life of a church anywhere. And there's a tremendous a church field right there, a tremendous mission field right there. Because some of those are your neighbors, your friends, your family members, people you go to school with, people you work with. And so we need to be more personally involved in, in proclaiming and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That needs to be a vision for us because it's a vision that God has for us and the church. Several years ago, I read the book about Sam Walton and, uh, and Walmart. And um, he, he had one vision, one goal. And that was he wanted to capture the consumer market of America. Now, I want to ask this question. Who in this gathering today has not shopped at a Walmart? Who has not been in a Walmart or Sam's Club? Okay. I don't know how many thousands went there yesterday, but both up and down the line, up and down Two Notch Road, people were turning in Walmart left and right. I didn't go to Walmart, but I went to Sam's Club. And the reason I went is a week before that, I'd gone in there and uh, I, it was time to get new glasses. And they didn't have what I wanted at Walmart, so I went to Sam's Club. Customer service was great. They fitted me with a pair of glasses and they came in. I just went in. Yesterday, you know, get them uh, checked a little bit, get them adjusted just a little bit. Wonderful customer service. Walmart is a part of our life. Now, think about Sam Walden's vision. It didn't just happen. It was a vision that took a lot of hard work. He first opened the Walmart in 1962 in Roger, Arkansas. By 1967, he had 24 stores in Arkansas. And the sales that year reached $12.6 million dollars. By 2005, sales had reached $320 billion with 3,200 stores in America and around the world. And now the vision of Walmart is they want to capture the consumer market of the world. When you have a vision and you're willing to be driven to succeed in that vision, you will. Did you know that God has a vision for this church and for every church that bears his name? That vision is he wants people who are lost in their sin to be won to Christ and be made disciples. Jesus said that to the disciples in his closing comments to them in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, his vision is that all people would be made disciples. And that calls for our personal involvement in that process. 
We look at this church in Thessalonica, and they were a young church, but they were a faithful church. They were a great church. And we see how they came to be. They were birthed in chaos, and yet how strong they were and how bold they were. So I want to share three facts about them that I think we can wrap our hands around as we think about how we're going to be revisioning and becoming more missional and being intentional about reaching our community. The first thing we have to notice about these people is that they were confident in who they were. They were confident in who they were. In verses 4 through 6 we find that, but particularly verse 6. Paul says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. You see, when Paul preached the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, even in the midst of conflict and suffering and turmoil and maybe persecution, these people readily believed it and accepted it. And they did so in spite of all that affliction, and they did so with joy. You see, the gospel came to them as it should come to everybody, with power and with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 9, Paul points out to the fact that they turned to Christ from idols. They were worshiping idols. They turn, and that's a, that's, that's a form of, of repentance. We turn away from sin, and we turn back towards God. It's a 180-degree turn that we make. We're convicted of our sin. We repent of that sin. We confess that sin, and we turn to Christ in faith. You see, claiming the gospel is always turning towards God and turning away from sin. And these believers in Thessalonica heard the message, even in affliction and conflict around them, and they accepted the message of the gospel, and they were confident in who they were because of who they were in the sight and image of God. And we need to be as well, because our confidence in life comes from our relationship with God. Then the second thing we notice about this church is that they were consistent in their lifestyle, and don't underestimate the importance of that. They were consistent in their lifestyle. Verses 6 through 7 say, Paul says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And look at verse 7. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. They were confident in their faith and they were consistent in their lifestyle. They became a model, Paul said. A model to be emulated. A model to be followed. The word there for model literally talks about the stamp that you impress upon hot wax perhaps to seal an important document. And it would forever be an indelible impression. We look around us today and we see that we have all kinds of, of models around us that we choose to set up. Sports figures. Some of you might find that uh, your sports model is playing in the Super Bowl today, either with the Patriots or with the Rams. Sometimes we have TV actors as our models, or movie personalities, or musicians, or politicians, or maybe even spiritual heroes today. What our culture really needs today is for followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to be a consistent model of Jesus Christ as our Savior. People notice the difference. People notice the difference. That's why Paul points it out to them to say that you were a model. And people around the world watched you. You were a model that made an indelible impression upon your culture. You know, Jesus calls us to be fishers of men. 
And according to one writing I read this week, it says then that we as believers and followers after Jesus Christ can consider ourselves to be ichthologists. Ichthologists. You know what that is? That's people who study fish. And those who study fish tell us that about 30,000 different kinds of fish, and then they have basically two things, two similarities that are common for all of the different fish. First of all, they have very poor eyesight, and they can't see something until they're very close to it. The other thing is they don't have eyelids, so their eyes are open all the time. Now make that application to being a spiritual ichthologist when we apply those two traits to evangelism. People will most likely see their need for salvation when they get close enough to us and we demonstrate the truth of the gospel. And the second thing, remember, is they have their eyes open all the time and they're watching to see if our faith is really, truly genuine and worthy of their attention. He says, it's a reminder to us that in this culture today, as always, we have to be real and we have to be relevant. These believers in Thessalonica were consistent in their lifestyle and what an influence and indelible impression they made on their culture. And we will too if we're consistent in our lifestyle. And then there's a third thing to notice, and that is that these people were bold in proclaiming the gospel. They were bold in proclaiming the gospel. Look at verse 8. I love this. I just love the way it's described. I just love that it came from this church like that. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that exciting? That the message of the gospel just rang forth from this church? It was like a trumpet blaring out the sound. Or a thunder making powerful noise. Reverberating like an echo. If you ever go to an echo point and you say something, it doesn't just make one repetition, right? It doesn't just answer you back. But that sound just carries and carries and carries like supersonic waves. The verb that Paul uses here about the, about the gospel ringing out is in the perfect passive tense, which means it was a past action that continues to have influence and consequences today. And this is the only place in the New Testament that that word for echo is used. And isn't it exciting that these early Christians, these early believers, this young church, just naturally proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel just rang forth from them. It rang forth from them. And their influence was heard around the world. We've looked at some demographic figures inside of our church and and not to be surprised with where we are church is approaching 40 years of age and we're about a year and a half or so away from that and in the culture in which we live today we know that attendance patterns have changed giving patterns have changed uh that means that that the resultant in baptisms and life-changing experiences are down and that's all across the southern baptist convention well that's true in the life of our church as well Therefore, it's time for us, as we've begun as a staff, to look at the life of our church, look at the demographics of our culture around us. Remember, we've determined our church feel is from Blythewood down 77, where it hits 20, and then out towards Camden, or Interstate 20, encompassing those four zip codes of Blythewood, two here, 29223, 29229, and 29045. 
And there are 100,000 people in that church field. And if we have 4.8 million people in the state of South Carolina and 3.6 million of them do not attend church, not, not involved in a church life, don't have a church home, they probably don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of those people out of those 3.6 million have to be in our 100,000 people church field. We need to be on mission, personally involved, confident in who we are in Jesus Christ. Proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and modeling the lifestyle of a believer so that we can reach these people. These are souls that are important enough for God to send his son into the world to die on the cross for them. They might not know that. We have to tell them. And so we need to be personally involved as a mission action church in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Not just to add numbers here. But to do so for the glory of God so that more people will be rejoicing in heaven for all eternity. And we think about the diversity of the culture in which we are living now. My hope and my prayer for the life of our churches over the next five years. We will see the cultural makeup of our church more closely recognized and be realigned with the, the diversity of the ethnicity in our culture in our church field. That's who God has brought to us. Literally the world he has brought to us. And he's calling us to make disciples of all nations. So many nations have been brought to us. They're right at your doorstep. We just have to be personally involved in making disciples. Sharing and proclaiming the good news and living that lifestyle. May we so commit our lives to doing that as a mission action church. Let's pray. Father. Thank you for the examples that you point out to us in your word of churches like the Jerusalem Church, the Antioch Church, the Church in Thessalonica that readily responded to your word and became believers and then modeled their lifestyle after that of the Lord Jesus Christ and then, then bravely and boldly and confidently proclaimed the good news to their culture that Christ is Savior and Christ is Lord. And people came as they heard those words and the gospel penetrated their hearts. Father, allow us as a church, individuals, to be men and women and boys and girls deeply in love with Jesus Christ and the gospel so that we will be openly and honestly sharing our faith in him and seeing other people come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. Help us be intentional about reaching our community with the good news for Jesus Christ. Father, I pray now that your, your spirit will move and descend upon this place. If there are other decisions to be made for somebody who might have heard about Christ today for the first time and is ready to make a commitment of his or her life, somebody's ready to join on promise of letter by statement, or somebody wants to come to the altar and pray for the life of our church or for their life for boldness in proclaiming the gospel. Father, may you have your will and your way during this time of invitation. Through Jesus Christ, amen.